0: Granger, for the ones who get it done.
1: But this crash of 1987 is not just an American experience. Around the world, stock markets fell faster than a skydiver without a parachute. One financial reporter wrote about how he was in a taxi on October 20th, 1987, and the driver starts mumbling something about, look, there's no cars in the street. The depression's already started. And there was this thinking that it was going to happen because it happened the last time. And it's in almost every news report. They keep every news report they have some expert on saying, is this going to lead to a recession or depression? But here's what um, Andrew Clark, who was working for The Post, says. The day after Black Monday, its lead story was a comment piece by the remarkable Australian economist Maxwell Newton. Newton wrote correctly, as it turned out, that there would be no depression and no blood on the streets as a result of the crash. At the worst, a Dow Jones level of 1,800, the approximate reading post Black Monday, represents logical, real value. It's also worth to note, which he does, pre-crash, the Dow had a dizzy ride, galloping along to its August peak, but then it declined, and after Black Monday, corporate America had lost 40% of its values in just over two months according to the markets. They were heady days. It was a time of greed is good and power dressing, yellow tie-wearing brokers and investment bankers taking clients out to lunch at swish Manhattan eateries like Latouce, 21, and the Four Seasons. There were the yuppies dining out after 15 hours of nonstop work downtown, brilliant black breakdancers doing their thing on Manhattan street corners, and hookers asking passerbys, do you want to go out? It was time to master the possibilities, as the Robert Duvall ad for MasterCard said. Of course, one person who made headlines on the 20th, and I didn't get a chance to get it into the episode, is Donald Trump, who claimed in a Wall Street Journal article that he had sold all of his stocks before Black Monday, October the 19th. In interviews yesterday, a few investors were forecasting a quick turnaround. I sold all my stock over the last month, said Mr. Trump. The timing was no different than the Grand Hyatt. That was his big real estate success in 1975. One market source says Mr. Trump made about $175 million during the stock markets move up, partly by playing such takeover targets as a Allegis Corp and Holiday Corp, but has sold most of his $500 million portfolio. I think the market is going to go down further, he said, because there are just too many things wrong with the country. Referring to the current U.S. trade deficit, Mr. Trump explained, the U.S. cannot afford to lose $200 a year while Japan and Saudi Arabia are making tremendous profits and the U.S. is paying initially uh, totally for their defense. Well, you see in there are some themes that uh, he would repeat again with different countries. Well, uh, we've completed the final of the Arc of Commerce series. I started it in 2019, and like every time I do a series, I think it's going to be contained in the year that I start it, and that never happens. So uh, this actually took a long time to do. (laughs) There's a couple of reasons for it. One is that I think in talking about history and politics, and if we're just talking about presidents and Congress and things like that, you're missing – a good part of the American historical experience, and so I wanted to take on other parts. Okay, let's look at the commercial history of the United States, and something becomes apparent that Americans throughout history aren't just political beings, they're earning a living, and in fact, the process of earning that living is really what's driving a lot of the politics. So the line between politics and commerce is not only thin, it's sometimes non-existent and it may actually be the commerce that's driving the politics more often. There's a whole story that we didn't get into, which is, and I did get into it a bit in the uh, one of the premium podcasts about the Pan American Telephone Company that basically was just an attempt to outright buy Congress. And you saw several of these um, with railroads as well basically giving congressmen shares of a telephone company if they can beat out Alexander Graham Bells. So I think that it's been useful to do these large Arc of Commerce series, the first one in February 2019. I also think that they gave me a chance to open up the notebook and just examine more things that I could use in later episodes as issues come up. It's awfully hard to just pull out episodes based on the events of the day but when you have a good basis of research and homework and stuff from past episodes it becomes that much easier and sometimes i'm just replaying things you know that that happens the last episode i really wanted to hit black monday i wanted to start with the october 1929 crash and then end with the 1987 crash but you have two kind of oops moments in American commerce, and I think it's a good prism to learn the history by. The 1987 crash, one of the major factors was an insurance concept known as portfolio insurance. And this Stanford professor that figured out that if companies had more insurance, particularly big institutions, financial institutions, large pension funds, had some, you know, mechanism to limit their losses, and his computerized system and the models were worked out in the 70s and he puts it into place in the 80s would offer that they could lose more no more than 5%. Off. It gets proven wrong in 19, you know, in 1987 and in fact portfolio insurance because it requires arbitrage is requiring selling and all of those sell orders are contributing to black monday. It's not the only reason. In my view, a larger reason is the dollar, the trade wars, the impending legislation, and just this kind of sense that after it had risen so much in the 1980s, the stock market was going to go down and nobody wanted to get caught and started selling. So it's all those things at once. While I was gathering news clips for the episode on Terrible Tuesday, the next day, you know, I came across Jim Kramer's comments, which I thought were really interesting. And then in the comments of many people, it said Tuesday was worse than Monday. And so that became a theme of Part B.
2: An emergency landing had become a disaster. Emergency phone lines were flooded with calls. Yeah, I just seen a plane go down in
1: Park Fletcher. But then there's this incident where it's just like you realize that certain things are occurring. It's not just the stock market. That was the story of the day. But All
2: the plane has hit. main branch and
1: there is a fire you have on tuesday october 20th 1987 this fellow is flying a fighter pilot near an air force base near indianapolis and he can't land he ejects from his fighter
2: ramada and at the airport get as many places you can the whole hotel has just blown up what happened it blew up it's an explosion the whole ramada and at the airport a disabled Air Force jet trying to make an emergency landing overshot the runway in fog and clipped the roof of a bank branch. The jet then slammed into the second floor of the airport ramada, right above the lobby. I saw the uh, jet coming in, I saw an explosion, and uh, and I, after the explosion I saw one parachute open up, and after, after the parachute opened up, the jet came in, came off the bank here, bank one, and then went into the front of the hotel. But even then an out-of-control fire was sweeping through the seven-story 155-room hotel before the crash many people on the ground could see the jet was in serious trouble when it really caught my eye the plane was just kind of floating then i saw the explosion the plane went down very very fast then i saw the pilot eject and
1: watched him come did down did you see an explosion in the air before this? Yes, yes definitely very very big explosion
2: Usually on the jet you can see the exhaust coming out of the back of and i didn't see exhaust coming out Uh, His wings were kind of tipping back and forth as if he was trying to keep control of it. Uh, It looked like he'd rode it out about as long as he could. And and like I said, I saw the explosion from the uh, canopy coming off the plane. Many of the 105 registered guests had checked out of the hotel by 9.15 in the morning. There was a staff of 20 on duty, and several people had arrived for meetings and seminars at the hotel. Two doctors were having breakfast in the hotel's Summerfield's restaurant. Very near the impact. Well, I was facing
0: the the window and I saw the plane. It, it's, it's a jet fighter, I think. And I thought it was landing, but it was landing very, very close to the hotel. But suddenly it hit the, the roof of the bank and it slid very low. And just all I saw is a ball of fire and everything shattered around us the windows, the chairs. And it was just, uh, you know, 15 feet away from us. We saw a big ball of fire and uh, everything was shattering around we ducked under the table and I grabbed my foot uh, briefcase and ran out of the uh, back door of the hotel
1: he's uh, injured but he's okay but his plane crashes into a ramada hotel near the airport creates a fireball in the hotel and kills nine people and this tragedy occurs um, right outside of Indianapolis on the same day that America's recovering from the stock market crash and it's just a a lesson that you know there's more than one news story going on in America at any one time and also that hey there are things more important than money and that's the loss of life and that was a big story that day and we can't forget that right around right before the stock crash friday night is when 18 month old baby Jessica McClure is rescued by workers in Texas after she was trapped 22 feet underground in an abandoned water well, where she was for 48 hours. The rescue efforts were broadcast live on CNN, capturing America's attention at the time. So we go right from baby Jessica to the stock market crash. Well, they say, you know, more things going on at once. There's some other interesting events that are going to occur around this time, around 1987. One is that a congressional candidate in San Francisco, Nancy Pelosi, will slightly beat San Francisco City Supervisor Harry Britt for the seat of Representative Sala Burton in San Francisco and become a congresswoman. Also in the news, the FDA cleared the way for clinical trials of an experimental AIDS drug. A revamped social studies program stressing 20th century American history and placing less emphasis on European history has been hailed as fitting for an increasingly diverse student population and is being phased into New York State schools. Shock jock Howard Stern will speak at a rally after he's been censured by the FCC for his off-color broadcast. 2,000 people will crowd to Dog Hammersholt Plaza on April 24, 1987 to support him. Eight days before the crash, on October 11, 1987, participants in the Lesbian and Gay March on Washington held their hands up high during a rally on the National Mall. It was estimated some 200,000 people participated U.S. forces struck back at Iran for attacks on American-registered vessels and other Persian Gulf shipping by blasting two connected offshore platforms that American officials said were used as a base for Iranian gunboats. Iran promised a crushing blow against the United States in revenge for American attacks, saying Washington was embroiled in a full-fledged war with Iran. Compaq Computer Corporation will introduce their new Compaq Portable 3 on February 18, 1987. With a weight of just 18 pounds, it provided the power and function of a high-performance desktop like those made by IBM in a small self-contained unit that's easy to carry. Now, it's not quite a laptop, but when you fold it together, it has kind of a a, a one-inch thick screen module that um you can move up or down and when you fold it all together keyboard and everything into a box it's about uh it's really not much bigger than a shoebox, and weighs 18 pounds it's not a great year for the reagan's and um reagan doesn't do particularly well during the stock market crash and you see the impact of commerce on politics very much here this crash, along with Iran Contra, sets up a pretty difficult situation for both Reagan and the Republican Party. Certainly Reagan's presidency is diminished. You know, the newspapers describe Reagan as buoyant, and but Nancy Reagan is has a health scare on October 5th. It's found she's found to have a lump in her breast. It might be cancerous. She goes to Bethesda Naval Medical Center. She's still recovering from that. At the time of this crash, then her mother dies of a stroke. So there's a lot going on in the rig and White House. Not a not a very uh, fun year, and certainly the the we discussed uh, very briefly Black Friday, the first uses as far as I know of that term uh, using a color in the name of a day on the stock market to describe a really bad single day with a huge drop in prices. And really, the Grant uh, first and second terms have a number of these panics during his term that uh, will stain his legacy in the 19th century. And, uh, you know, it's come back. But it wasn't necessarily a fun time to be an American invested in markets during the Grant presidency. And it has to be considered in his presidency. You can't take that away. Uh, One of the things I did not talk about Is how the investigation that Congress did of that Black Friday incident, which involved a Grant brother-in-law, involved Grant, and did damage to the economy, was a congressman, James Garfield, who led the investigation and ended up clearing Grant, Grant's sister, Grant's wife, who may have made some money off of it, um... And Jay Gold also was never prosecuted for what happened, and he hired a good defense lawyer and ended up getting off and made a lot of money and retired and died a very wealthy man, Uh, his partner Fisk as well. So, but Garfield kind of makes his name in that investigation as a person of very high character, and that's going to set him up 11 years later to be the Republican nominee and eventually president of the United States. We did get to mention about how Charles Evans Hughes, like where does he come from? And he comes out of investigating those insurance scandals and then makes his reputation as presidential candidate, governor, and jurist. In order to tell the story of 1987, I think we have to tell the story of insurance. So that's what we did in Part B. And we led up to it in um, Part A where we also wanted to tell the story about The commodities market because when stocks became like a pork belly that's part of what charged caused 1987 as well it also may be part of what saved it a lot of people in chicago are saying that it was that those actions at the chicago board of trade that saved the futures um that saved the dow that day so um we had to tell that whole story. So like every Arc of Commerce episode, it ends up being between the two parts around like two hours. And these have all been long episodes in the series. I really enjoyed doing it, but I am done with it. <laughs> I think I have enough on Commerce. Um, incidentally, there's also an episode floating around the archives, which I'm going to put into the field soon, called Trust Busting, which I would have made Arc of Commerce seven. Um, or just put it as part of Arc of Commerce 4, Arc of Commerce 4 being about the times when commerce was stopped. So if I added to that more general, when commerce was regulated, we could add in trust busting because it talks about, you know, was Theodore Roosevelt really a trust buster? Many people say that he wasn't. He was criticized at the time for allowing some trust to go. But then again, he took historic actions with his attorney general, um, Phil Knox, uh, to – Rein in some of the trust, so he's a mixed bag. We talk about that in that episode. We talk about AT and T and uh, well, the creation of AT and T with the breakup of Bell Telephone. So, you know, I'll still do topics on commerce, but this is basically where we're at. I thought about doing one on education. I think I'm just going to handle it as a separate topic, and it's probably going to be next year because we're real busy. (laughs) Um. In terms of leftovers from this specific episode, I threw everything in. It's the final one. I threw a lot in. Um, we could get more into the Merck market today, where they're now selling Bitcoin and uh, even some new cryptocurrencies are being sold in Chicago. So it never stops and it's an interesting thing to look at, could have gotten more into the 70s, more detail into the attempts to regulate the Merck in the 70s and how they actually come out smelling like a rose, really, with actually more things to sell, gold and leading up to stocks. So um, by accepting a little regulation and, say, turning in some of the really bad actors, the Mercantile Exchange is actually made out pretty well in a decade where the regulators were coming after them. And I, and I thought that we, we glazed over it, but I thought I could talk more about that. We're supposed to talk about? I think we got a lot of good episodes coming up. There's going to be more of the 1890s. I'll first do those as scrapbooks here. And um, then I'll eventually do an episode on that. A lot on DC representation coming up. I have a a lot of research I've done on airline deregulation. Again, I think it plays a little bit into some of what we learned in the arc of commerce, like examining how the issue of libertarianism in markets and sometimes letting them go and sometimes restraining them. I think one of the key stories of the arc of commerce six is is how when the rubber hit the road – all of these market mechanisms got awfully collective all of a sudden and very controlled. And for at least a day, you know, you could say John Phelan became Bernie Sanders, right? I mean, for a day anyway. Um, and when push comes to shove, it's just there. there's there's. – I've always thought this about libertarianism, and I, I don't think there's enough evidence in the episode to make the point to to have said on the main podcast, but that – you can get rid of all the government regulation you want, and what will happen is it will be replaced immediately by trade association regulation. That's all that will happen. In other words, you'll get rid of all the government, let's say, you'll have a very thin government, and then it will be up to markets, market exchanges to set their rules, who gets in, who gets to trade, uh, what trades, etc. cetera. How does it all work? And someone might say, that's fine, that's better, and that's acceptable. That's certainly acceptable. Uh, it's something to debate, but I don't think that it all goes away. I think you go to trade associations. So, what you see on Black Monday and Terrible Tuesday is that the White House kind of goes to the markets and says, Can you take care of this more or less? And the Fed encourages private banks to take care of this yourself, you know, but we won't step in. And I just think that those forces would be present because um, there's still the ability, even with, with absolute libertarianism and with the constitution as written, you have the ability to associate. Once you associate, there's going to be rules governing those associations. And so whatever kind of, whatever you're in, let's say you're a fisherman or whatever, there'll be a local control of those waters put forth by people who fish there every day. If you're in the stock market, there'll be rules governing stock markets and mercantile exchanges set by people who do that every day. Hey, maybe you'll argue those are better, but let's not kid ourselves that there'll be this fantasy Wild West with no rules at all. And I think that's really what I take from October the 19th and October the 20th. Well, thanks for listening and thanks for supporting the podcast.